This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 4th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. What enduring economics lessons can we teach our kids? And what lessons endure? Connor Boyack is author of the Tuttle Twins book series. We talked about what it takes to make the essential lessons of the economic way of thinking stick with kids. You are the author of the fabulously successful children's book series, The Tuttle Twins, and you have since sort of branched out into uh, making those an anchor point for doing economic education for K through 8. What do kids intuitively get about economics that might surprise us? You know, I, I was chuckling when Matt Kibbe published a recent book of his called Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff, right? This libertarian manifesto. And of course, that's kind of the the, the expansion of the non-aggression principle. And yet, if you think about being a parent, those are the very lessons that we're all teaching to young kids, right? Like, like leave people alone, stay within your own space, don't, don't take from other kids. And so I think that really shows that a lot of these lessons that we talk about, the values that we espouse as adults that we're trying to popularize, spread the message about, really percolate down to young children. We can simplify these, and these are the, the simple social values, economic values um, that kids can understand and really should understand. The unfortunate thing, of course, is that they're not really being introduced, uh, these ideas, and they're not really being made aware of them. And so the whole idea behind what we're doing is equipping parents with the ability to have these conversations with their young kids that they otherwise might not know how to frame those ideas and how to approach their kids about them. Okay, so the the books that you've produced so far are sort of takes on classic works of uh, economics Mm -hmm. and um, uh, libertarian thought. Yeah. Um, So where do you start? When you're talking with kids, where do you start? So what what we're doing right now is really fun where obviously we're selling books. We just passed over 200,000 books sold, which for, you know, organic little project like this is really a fun milestone. But about a year ago, we started a new nonprofit that is taking these resources and is being very concerted about trying to get them into the schools. So your question about where do you start is one that we had to try and grapple with to say, Look, when we sell the books to a family, they can start wherever they want. Maybe one book will be more appealing to them. But if we're going to newly introduce these topics to an audience that has otherwise never heard of them, maybe is even disinterested in them or apathetic to them, how do you start? What what do you use? And so we looked at all the material that we had. And the, the conclusion that we came to is, I think the one that, that Fee has really wrapped around because of Leonard Reed, obviously, but that's iPencil. It's this fun story that um, can you can draw so many applications out of it. And that was our second book in the series. So it's Tuttle Twins and the Miraculous Pencil, sharing the same kind of biography story of the pencil for young kids. And so over the past school year, uh, we were able to reach about 20,000 students, uh, hundreds of classrooms. Everyone gets a copy of the book. We developed curricula. So the teacher has these lesson plans and activities and has the ability to kind of step through line by line and go through all the concepts of spontaneous order, division of labor, but have it make sense to a third grader and do an activity and do a game and, and spend a little time unpacking these ideas. Well, what's fun and to getting to your question is that that has been a great starting point for us through which we can then introduce some of the other books, some of the other topics, but we get our foot in the door using this story that that inspires and stimulates a bit of curiosity about this common pencil. And oh my gosh, I had no idea the story behind it. They start asking questions and then we have the other resources we can jump in and, and introduce. Yeah. And the thing with uh, with Leonard Reed and iPencil, it is, it's 
it's almost trippy and um, beautiful and amazing, this common household object. And it's, and it's interesting to try to express to, uh, I, I imagine it would be mm-hmm. sort of interesting to express that to children to say, look at, look at the process that is so amazing that comes together to make this thing. And of course, that, that's the core of Leonard Reed is, Absolutely. is, is uh, appreciating the beauty of everyday objects and how commodities come together. How complex it really all is. And, and with the kids, uh, we use that as an opportunity to help them see it's not about the pencil, it's about the process. So I've been doing a lot of assemblies in schools uh, and so we start with the pencil, but then I have a kid come up and I say, okay, you know, look at your sweater or your hat or, you know, give me your backpack. And then now that we walk them through this concept of, you know, like the family tree of the pencil and all of the people and processes involved, we do it with another uh, item, right? Whatever we find from the audience and we get with audience participation. Okay, let's begin thinking about this other thing. With my kids, for example, uh, we, we call it I dinner, right? Where we'll sit down with this meal that mom's prepared and like, okay, let's give a little bit of thought to all the people that led to this meal that spontaneously showed up on your plate, right? And what I like as a parent personally is that I think we have a really a, a problem in our culture right now with this entitlement mentality. I think it's a big problem that a lot of uh, the younger generation grapples with. And as a parent, I like that my kid doesn't just expect that dinner to show up and feel entitled to, you know, whatever they get. There's a bit of humility that comes into it when you realize how complex it is and how amazing it is that you have the ability to enjoy the end result. So what do uh, what are the big takeaways for uh, students with that book and with some of the other curricula that you've developed? The big takeaways, or, uh, takeaways, excuse me, are is that the um, the world is a, a big, interesting place. Really, what we want to do, especially because we're at a young age, we're not going to uh, indoctrinate them. We're not going to fully educate them at the level that fee might with a high school or a college student, or certainly many other think tanks out there. What we're trying to do is stimulate curiosity so that they want to know more, so that they have some fun stories at their fingertips, that they begin to learn some of the foundational principles, and so that they ask questions. Uh, We had a, a parent reach out to us just recently they were at a family reunion, and uh, one of their kids had read our version of The Creature from Jekyll Island, all about central banking, the Fed, inflation, and money. And the uncles, this kid's uncles, I think he was seven, if I'm remembering right, his uncles were all sitting around the fireplace talking about the Fed. So apparently this is maybe some libertarian family, I don't know, but they were talking about well, something in the news that the Federal Reserve had done. And they're all like in their 20s, 30s, and the seven-year-old walks up and joins in the conversation. And apparently, initially, the uncles were like, oh, do we need to kind of dumb down the conversation or do we need to talk about something else because the seven-year-old's sitting here? No, the seven-year-old fully engaged and was asking questions that these adults were able to engage with and understand. So what we're after is that curiosity. You know, kids aren't otherwise being introduced to this stuff. We're, We're waiting until they're adults. And the analogy that I give is that it's like we're in an orchard, right? Organizations like Cato, like my think tank, Libertas Institute, all of these groups that are primarily interfacing with adults. It's like we're going around this orchard with decayed or diseased trees, and we're trying to fertilize them back into good health. Fertilize, fertilize, you know, hoping that we can restore these older trees. We need, I think, as a movement or whatever you want to call us more broadly— like a good uh, you know, caretaker of an orchard, we need to be also 
fertilizing, but we need to also be focused on the saplings. We need to be focused on the rising generation to make sure that in the future, we need to do less fertilizing because we've done it right from the beginning. And from our perspective, there's really no one engaged at that younger level. There's been a lot more organizations coming down to the high school level. Awesome. And we're partnering with them, but we're going to take it, uh, we're taking it over the past year we started in the K through eight space so that we can plant those seeds and then begin to cultivate them as they grow. When's the perfect age to uh, sort of awaken or grasp in a lasting way the mm-hmm. idea like inflation or yeah. <laughs> uh, the family tree of, you know, common household objects yeah. or uh, some of the, the road to serfdom or uh-huh. regulation and things like that. You know, the, the easy qu- answer to that question is that every kid's different, right? They're all at different uh, stages of life and progression. What we found with all the kids that we've been working with is when they hit about eight or nine is when things stick. But what we found is that because we're in their different families, they're usually starting when they're, you know, five or six or whatever. Um, these kids read the books over and over. The Tuttle Twins, we I don't take credit for this, but we've stumbled onto something that um, that works. And it works because I the leading thing theory is that we're treating kids like adults. This isn't, you know, Bobby and Sally played on the playground and big whoop, right? Like kids books treat kids like kids. We're treating kids in a way like adults. I mean, it's fully illustrated. It's very much a kid's book, but the concepts are very adult concepts. For that reason, we think it's that these kids are reading these books over and over again. And so when you start when you're five and six, maybe they don't fully understand it. Maybe it hasn't stuck. But the story's fun. The illustrations are amazing. They read it over and over again. And by the time they're eight or nine, they're really understanding the concepts. They're asking their parents questions. That's when we found most kids are kind of hitting that sweet spot where we can engage them on that idea and then begin to help them understand it even more. And certainly more than a lot of adults even do uh, with how you know, little they've been educated about this stuff. Right. I was just about to say that most 20, 30, and 40-year-olds probably do not understand uh, – you know, the family, how, how things, how products come together, how delicate and beautiful that process is. They don't understand inflation. Uh, they don't understand the uh, downsides of, of regulatory impositions and things like that. So it's, it will be interesting to watch what how these kids make use of that information, if they forget it, if the extent to which it sticks with them. How how are you, uh, you so you've developed the curriculum, but how are you lear- getting feedback and learning from what uh, this curriculum is producing? So the main thing that we're looking to do is establish partnerships with certainly teachers directly and with entire schools where we can uh, train the teacher in those economic concepts and work with them so that um, over the, the long term, they can be framing all of their content in the economic way of thinking. We don't want to have to just be pushing year after year after year. We want to empower and educate and equip the teachers so that they can do this on their own. But we're going to be there to supplement and provide books and provide materials and curricula and everything along the way. So the idea is that we establish these partnerships that bear fruit over time. And so we did this beta test in the past school year, uh, the 2017-18 school year. We reached around 20,000 kids, primarily in in some of the Western states where we had some funding. And what we did from that feedback is we refined the curriculum and kind of the approach. It helped us understand how better to position our material that would help the teachers do what they needed to do. We think that that beta test went pretty well. We got a lot of positive stories and feedback from the teachers who said the kids understood it, they had fun, it was amazing, whatever. So now what we're looking to do with that beta test phase complete is then scale it up so that we can expand into other states, we can increase the number of students we're reaching, and then continue to grow in the years ahead. 
Connor Boyack is president of the Libertas Institute in Utah and is author of the Tuttle Twins book series. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 